0: As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, remember your word to your servants in which you have made us hope. This is our comfort in our affliction that your promise gives us life. Your words have been our songs in the house of our sojourning. And so by your spirit and your word, please show us Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's Word to the book of Proverbs, chapter 8. Proverbs, chapter 8. We're going to begin our reading at verse 22. You'll find that on page 676 of most of our Pew Bibles, between the books of Psalms and Ecclesiastes. If you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here this morning. We've been considering a series through the book of Proverbs And we've come to this section of the scriptures, Proverbs chapter 8, beginning at verse 22. So we'll begin our reading there and read through the end of the chapter. And let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. This is wisdom personified continuing to speak. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped. Before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, And delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. And do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me. Watching daily at my gates. Waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me, finds life. And obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Uh, We're considering the second half of this great passage on wisdom uh, that personifies wisdom uh, as if wisdom herself is speaking to God's people. It's a wonderful text to consider. Uh, It's a wonderful passage to have arrived at. In the study of Proverbs, in a sense, this is the passage to which Proverbs has been building. Uh, We quoted from Derek Kidner last week, who said, "...the praise of wisdom which has welled up at many points already now breaks out in full flow in a sustained appeal of great beauty and immense range." And he says that the boldness of thought in this passage really culminates in verses 22 through 31, as wisdom bears witness to the creation Um, and comes to the true climax of verses 32 through 36, which demand that those who hear her voice find what she has to say, learn her instruction, and find life. Uh, This is what the whole book of wisdom has been about. We've returned to this theme time and time again. What does God want us to find? He wants us to find life. Life in its truest, fullest sense, as God offers it, to his people. Um, and in these last days, with the full revelation of God's word being completed, we understand that this life ultimately can only be found in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is part of the solution to understanding this particular passage of Scripture. So, what God wants for us is to find life, to find life in his Son, to understand and respond. In the way the passage calls us to respond. So what do we need to understand if we're going to understand this passage right this morning? There are three particular things we need to call our attention to this morning. First, the presence of wisdom. And to think about how wisdom has been present throughout the creation of this world. And then to think about the puzzle of wisdom. How does this wisdom relate to our God and what does it teach us about our God? And finally, the promise of Wisdom. He who finds me finds life. So, we want to think about the presence, the puzzle, and the promise of wisdom uh, this morning as a way to understand this passage. Um, we have the presence of wisdom wonderfully sketched out for us at the beginning of the world in, verse 20, in verses 22 and 23. Uh, the first 21 verses really talked about the importance of wisdom for living life. Uh, The importance of wisdom for God's people who are living in time and history. And that's what the first 21 verses spent time doing. Talking just about how important wisdom is for living life in this world. uh, Living life in time and history. And now wisdom goes back before time and history. To think about what she saw at the very creation of the world. The wisdom that was with God when there was nothing else. Um, Wisdom as bearing witness to the entire creation that comes. It's a wonderful, glorious story to think about. This picture that's presented to us in verses 22 through 31. Uh, To think about wisdom being the possession of the Lord. Uh, That's where we start in, in verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. begin to study this passage, you realize that a a lot of ink has been spilled on how best to translate that word that we have in our Bibles, possessed. Um, It can mean created, brought forth, acquired, possessed, and a lot of people have debated which is the best way to translate this. This is a wonderful way to translate, it's just fine. Um, This is a good word to choose because it is a sort of challenge to think about How exactly wisdom is with the Lord, but to focus too much on the possession is to miss the real emphasis of the passage. It's not on the possession of the Lord, it's on the Lord who possessed it. Uh, The emphasis in this passage is on the Lord, the covenant God. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. Uh, Yahweh, the God of the covenant, the God who works the creation of the heavens and the earth, possessed wisdom at the beginning of his work. The Lord possessed it. The Lord works with wisdom. And that's fundamental to thinking about wisdom as it's been presented to us throughout the text. Because as we're going to begin to learn here, wisdom was with the Lord when he worked. And so it shouldn't be surprising to us that who live in the world that he's made, that we need wisdom to live in this world. If the Lord worked through wisdom, we shouldn't be surprised that we are called to live in wisdom. The Lord set an example for us even at the beginning. Wisdom was with the Lord when he did his work. And wisdom was there when he created the heavens and the earth. Wisdom was his possession, we're told, at the beginning, verse 22. Before the beginning, verse 23. And whenever we hear the words of the beginning, in the beginning, what does that make us think of? It makes us think of the creation account, uh, the wonderful words that open the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Whenever we hear reference to the beginning, we're meant to think of the creation, God making everything that has been made. And whenever we think about that creation account, we're reminded that there was a time when there was nothing but God. In the beginning, God created. That God brought forth into the world everything that is. But there was a creator who stood apart from his creation. Who stood alone from the creation before the creation came into being. And so it's an interesting thing for wisdom to say, I was there at the beginning." I was there before the beginning. I was first. Right? We see that in verses 22 and 23. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth. Now, wisdom, in a sense, exists before the creation. So wisdom is presented to us as being first, but not part of the creation. As being the possession of the Lord, but not the creation of the Lord. Um, First, in what sense? I think we should understand this as part of God himself. It's one of the confessions we make in the Belgian Confession. When we talk about who God is, we list the attributes of God. And one of the attributes of God that we list there is that he is completely wise. Everything he does is done in the perfection of his wisdom. Uh, Wisdom is first with him in that sense. Wisdom is with God, presented here not as part of the creation, but part of God himself, this pre-creation possession that is in him. And that's what makes wisdom first. That's what makes wisdom first in quality. It stands apart from the creation in the creator. It's begotten, not made. It's first in the sense of rank. It's before everything else in creation. It stands in front of everything else in status. It's first in time. There before everything is made. Uh, Wisdom is present there. And therefore, wisdom existing before the beginning and being the first in quality and the first in rank and the first in time is presented to us as having a unique perspective on all that was made in the world. Wisdom has a unique perspective in the creative work of God. And wisdom, in a sense, shares what she witnessed. Again, this sort of metaphor being used personifying Wisdom is helpful for us because she can be, be presented to us as a, as a witness of everything that happened in creation, and we 've probably all engaged in this in this sort of thought process when we read the creation account. maybe you 've done this, boys and girls, if you read Genesis one and you read how God created the world and how He separated the waters and how He brought forth animals. By his command, maybe we've thought about all that and we've read all that and we've thought to ourselves, I would have loved to be there and see that. Right? We get a, a window of it with the scriptures. It tells us how it happened, but, but isn't there part of us that says, I would have loved to see it. I would have loved to be able to bear witness to God speaking and watching light jump into being um, for, for his, to breathe out and fill the heavens with their host. Um, and what, what, what wisdom does is comes and says to us, I was there. I can bear witness to that world. I can bear witness to the world that was not and the world that was. Um, it, it's, a, it's a balanced testimony that wisdom gives. The first half, you'll notice, is about when there was nothing. Right? Verses 24 through 26, when there were no depths. I was brought forth when there were no springs abounding with water before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, before he had made the earth with its field or the first dust of the world. Wisdom first says, I was witness to when it was just formless and void. I I was brought forth before the world came together. And that's in the creation account, right? The world was formless and void. Before God began to do what? Form it and fill it. And so wisdom's perspective is to say, I saw when the formless void was there, when there was nothing. Uh, As one person said, when there was not one speck of matter and not one trace of order. I saw the formless void And then wisdom says to us, and then you know what I saw? I saw the Creator cause it to take its shape. I was there when there was nothing, bottom to top. No depths, no mountains, no nothing. And then I saw the Creator take that formless void and make it what it is. I was there, wisdom says, when He formed the earth. And so the next three verses are all about the forming and filling of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above. When he established the foundations of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations Of the earth, when he brought that formless void into glorious order and did remarkable things, things that we sort of take for granted but can't imagine doing. How do you separate the heavens from the lower bodies? How do you tell the seas you may come this far but no further? We read that at the end of Job. Where God said, you may come this far and no further. Who gives orders to the oceans like that? Who separates the oceans from the skies? Who draws the horizon on the planet? Who's able to do that? Wisdom says, you know, I saw all of that take shape at his command. I saw the orders he gave and watched it be fulfilled. And everything doing what it was told to do. Even the mighty oceans, which are so beyond our power to comprehend. He set it all in its glorious order. Um, And wisdom was witness to it all. The heavens, the horizon, the limits of the sea, the foundations of the earth. And then wisdom, almost naturally, right, moves from the language of witness to the language of worship. What else can you do when you witness the creation of the world but worship the one who's created it? That's what verses 30 and 31 are all about. Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was, his, was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. I was there as he did his work day after day, rejoicing in everything that he did. Um, Another way to translate verse 30 would be to say, And I was beside him constantly. I was delighting before him day after day, celebrating before him at all times. And that's hardly surprising if if you're witnessing the creation of the world as the Lord brings it to glorious order. How could you do anything but rejoice and delight in what you see being brought into perfect form, fullness, goodness, order, What could you do but rejoice in seeing that? Delight in seeing that. And and wisdom says, you know, I rejoiced in all of it. I delighted to see all of it. But there was something particular that was worthy of rejoicing and delighting in. Not just that he made everything with its vastness, but that he made this particularly for his people. What did wisdom rejoice in In verse 31, his inhabited world, a world that was a fit place for his image bearers to live. And not only did wisdom delight in his inhabit, rejoice in his inhabited world, but wisdom delighted in the children of man. From the beginning, wisdom is presented to us as not only having seen and rejoiced and delighted in all that God has made, but particularly rejoiced and delighted in this inhabited world that he made for his children, this inhabited world that he made for his people, that he made it all very good, but he made it very good for them. He made a perfect, ordered world for them. And wisdom bears witness and wisdom worships that God would do this. And it's a wonderful picture that's presented to us. I think as the culmination of wisdom to say, look how uniquely suited wisdom is to call out from the city heights, to call out to everyone who's in the crossroads, to everyone who's at the gates, because she's been there to see it all. Not just to know how the world works, but to have seen it from before it's working. To see it come into fullness. To know exactly what's been done in this world. To understand the limits that God has put on it. Where God has set his laws. Where God has set his rules. Wisdom is in a unique place to act as counselor to God's people. Um, Her credentials as we go through this are impeccable for being a guide, for being a counselor, as she has witnessed it all from the beginning. Wisdom knows the truth. Knows the truth about the world, as one commentator put it. If we must do nothing without wisdom, God himself has made and done nothing without it. The wisdom by which the world is rightly used is none other than the wisdom by which it exists. But wisdom was at work in the creation of the world. It shouldn't be surprising that wisdom is needed to live rightly in the created world. Um, That's one of the wonderful pictures that is given to us. But this picture of wisdom does present us with a kind of puzzle. Who exactly is wisdom? Um, Because personifying it seems to take it out of God... And stand alongside of God. But to take it out of the creation means it can't be part of what God made. It has to be part of God. So it's next to God without being and being outside of God but not apart from God. It presents this picture that gives us kind of a puzzle. That's the puzzle of wisdom that happens when you personify wisdom. One of our Reformed theologians captured it this way. Here wisdom is personified so that it becomes objective for God himself, and yet it stands in closest relation to him. It is the image of his thought, the perfect imprint of his inner existence, within him and outside of him at the same time. That's the puzzle that's presented. A wisdom that's closer to him then creation, with him at the beginning, and yet also pictured as being outside of him. And so what is the personification of wisdom doing for God's people here? It's presenting us with a puzzle that cannot be fully understood until the Lord Jesus Christ comes into the world. And that's what the theologian ended his statement by saying said, so this perfect imprint of his inner existence within him and outside of him at the same time, in the prologue of the gospel of John, such things are said of the word. What is the solution to the puzzle of how to rightly understand wisdom and to rightly understand who wisdom is? Well, the Holy Spirit inspires the apostle John to speak in this exact same way of the Word. Here's how the Gospel of John begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Another commentator said, The New Testament shows by its allusions to Proverbs 8 that the personifying of wisdom, far from overshooting the literal truth, was a preparation for its full statement. Since the agent of creation was no mere activity of God but the Son, His eternal word, wisdom, and power. Who is the wisdom of God? Pictured for us in metaphor in Proverbs 8, but coming to us as a real person in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's who wisdom is. That's who was there at the beginning. Not just witnessing, but working. Not just worshiping, but working. Bringing forth all that is with God and with Him And next to him in that sense. Right? The word was God and the word was with God. Um, In that close fellowship eternally that the father has with the son. And that begins to answer some of these questions for us. And really bring out the fullness of this account. Because it means that the father made all these things through his son. And without the son was not anything made that was made. It's the son who bore witness and participated in his father's work. It's the son who participated and delighted and rejoiced in the work of creation. It's the son who delighted and rejoiced and worked to bring forth an inhabited world for God's people. It's the son who rejoiced and formed mankind in whom he has delighted. It brings him into the creation story. And then he comes into the time and history that he's created. He enters into the inhabited world when he comes in the flesh. He becomes part of the children of mankind in his humanity. Coming into this world to do what? To fix it. To restore it. Because what happened to that perfect world in which he delighted? And to those children he rejoiced over. They rebelled against their creator. They turned against him and decided they would do their own thing. And in doing so, they took that world that was his delight and brought it to devastation. Brought in sin and death. Took what God made very good. And made it the kind of place where the inclinations of man's thoughts were only evil all the time. And so what does the Lord Jesus come into the world to do? Why is he in a sense uniquely suited to come and be the redeemer of the world? Because he saw it when it was perfect. He saw it when it was very good. He's the one through whom it came to its goodness and perfection. He saw what it was, he's seen what it's become. And he has the power to take what's been devastated and restore it. To fix what's broken. He'd seen it at its best. And he comes into it in the fullness of time. To take what's been ruined and to restore it. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ comes into the world to do. To make this inhabitable world a place of rejoicing again. To take mankind that's fallen into sin and death and bondage to the devil and make them a delight again. So they can rejoice and delight in the world that he's made. And he enters into our devastated world as a man of sorrows. And gives himself up. To that death and destruction. That we worked in the world. Gives himself up to it. Body and soul. On the cross. So that this ruined world. Could be recreated. And the good news is. He rose from the dead. And there it was. The beginning of the restoration. Of the world. The promise that that recreation. Would take place. Because here is a child of man. Who lives again. Who lives an indestructible. Incorruptible life. Who is a delight. To his father in heaven. And who promises a renewed world. That he's the first fruits of a great. Harvest to come of the children of mankind. Raised after him. And promises to come again in glory and bring a new heavens and a new earth. A new inhabited world in which righteousness dwells. A place that will once again be a place of rejoicing and delight. The Lord lives. He lives as a human being, body and soul in heaven. A child of mankind who is going to bring a world for mankind in which there will be nothing but rejoicing and delighting in the Lord. The Lord Jesus is beside him constantly, delighting before him day after day, celebrating before him at all times and promises to all who believe in him that where he is, they will be also. They will enter into that delight and that joy That's the promise of wisdom that God doesn't want us to miss. The promise of wisdom that's come to full full understanding in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the words of wisdom must be listened to by all who hear it. That's the driving force of the last verses of this passage, 32 through 36. It offers a clear choice. Either you will hear the voice of wisdom speaking to you about what you must do or you won't. You will do what wisdom is calling you to do or you won't. And we have to understand that whether we follow wisdom or whether we don't is a choice between life and death. That's the promise that wisdom makes that those who find her find life. This is the appeal of wisdom that she's been making throughout the book really driven home here. It's an appeal as someone has said that has behind it all the force of that which is fundamental and joyful. What is the fundamental call of wisdom? Listen. The fundamental call of wisdom is listen. Hear and do what you hear. The fundamental call is repeated again and again, verses 32, 33, 34. Listen, hear, listen. It's all the same Hebrew verb. It all means hear and do what you hear. Hear it and obey it. Um, And all of it's just reinforced with the other language that's here. Be wise, don't neglect it, watch daily at the gates, stand at the doors, wait for them to open, don't miss it. Listen to what wisdom says. Hear what God says and do it. And what does wisdom say? What does wisdom say? Because we understand it's the voice of Christ speaking to his people. What does Christ say? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe and follow me. That's what the Lord says. That's what the Lord's call is to everyone who would hear. Repent of your sins. Believe in God's gospel promise. That by grace, because of Christ's one sacrifice on the cross, you have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And follow after him. Doing his will not to earn salvation, but out of gratitude for the Lord who has saved. The call is fundamental. Fundamental. It's a call to live. But notice what the Lord also wants is not just for you to live, but for you to be happy. The call is fundamental, but it's also joyful. Why are we called in this way? I know it's late, and I know we've lost an hour's sleep. I'm almost done. But I don't want you to miss the, I don't want this to just come across as bare duty. Why does God want us to listen to repent and to believe and to follow his son because he wants us to be happy. Uh, he says three times, listen. He says twice, he wants us to be blessed. Verses 32 and 34 Be blessed. Blessed are those who keep my way. Blessed is the one who listens to me. You could just as easily translate that happy. Happy is the one who listens. This call is fundamental, but it's joyful. It's to restore us to that place of rejoicing and delighting that wisdom talked about. Because giving up all to follow Christ is not really giving up anything in the end at all. It's great gain to follow and to listen to what wisdom has to say. Because what is promised to those who find wisdom, who find the Lord by his calling, it's life. Life in its fullest, truest sense. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, Jesus says in John 10.10. In verse 28 of that passage, he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord means to live eternally in God's favor, having his acceptance and approval poured out on us in unending blessing of a life lived with God. That's a joy and a happiness beyond which we can imagine, Uh, to live forever and to live forever in the favor and blessing of our God. And the passage says if you won't hear it and follow it because of what's promised, then listen to the warning. What is promised to those who miss the mark, who won't listen, who won't repent and believe and follow? He who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. It couldn't be a more stark choice, could it, that we're offered here in wisdom? And it says to us, don't miss the mark. Seek wisdom. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ who is the wisdom of God. Because whoever finds him by grace through faith finds eternal life and obtains favor from the Lord. May the Holy Spirit help us all to find Christ and abundant and happy life in him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that in these last days you've spoken to us by your son, who is your wisdom in the flesh, that he is the firstborn of all creation, that he is the one who was in the beginning, that he is first and foremost in rank and quality and time, that through him all things were made. We thank you that he is willing to come and die for sinners, that he is raised triumphant, reigning at your right hand, and continues to call to us by his Spirit through the word, that we might find him and find life and find favor in your sight. We pray all here might understand clearly his calling to repent of our sins and to believe in him, to follow after him, living lives of service out of gratitude for what he's done. And We pray that we might not miss the mark, but that the Spirit would help us to find life and not death in Jesus Christ. Help us all, Lord, to find that life, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.